Welcome to the Jesus the Game Changer podcast from Olive Tree Media, hosted by Carl Fays. In today's podcast, Brian and Julie Mavis highlight the needs of foster children in the U.S. and Jesus' heart for the hurting. They are co-founders of the organization America's Kids Belong, which strives to see every child find permanency and belonging. So, Brian and Julie, great to chat to you. I wanted to ask you first about your faith story. So, Brian, for you, what's a, just a quick background on faith for you? Uh, didn't really grow up in a Christian home, uh, but uh, my dad owned a construction company, hired a, a, a Christian. A guy actually was a, a pastor, and he invited me to church, and I said no. Then to a baseball game, I said yes. Then I felt like I owed him one. And so I uh, attended this little one-room country church. And over the next four years, just I was surprised by what I found there. I thought, it was, I thought what I was going to find was fake people. I found some of the most genuine people in my life. And then it took a while to come to accept God's grace. I felt like I had to earn it. So I became a Christian. Uh, when I was just about to turn 18, and then God called me into the ministry shortly after that, which was horrifying to me and to my family, but um, it's um, definitely been a good call. So for, for Julie, for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, and um, just learn to at a young age have faith in Jesus and love Jesus that was just an easy thing and um, but definitely my story uh, changed on an orphanage a trip down to Mexico and um, seeing orphans and God just breaking me there and falling in love with him uh, falling in love with him and falling in love with the orphans mm. is that was that something that happened at the same time it did yeah yeah just a purpose in my life and god um literally just calling me to care for orphans and um yeah gave me purpose and joy in my life you got married we won't do the whole story mm-hmm. uh, you have children how many mm-hmm. children of your own do you have two girls uh 24 and 22 and then we have a young man living with us who aged out of foster care and he's 25 he's been there for a year and a half you got involved in foster care what was your motivation to do that yeah my motivation my journey began back when i was 16 and going on a youth group uh, trip to uh, mexico to work on an orphanage and going down there um just really seeing the kids um, broken and lonely and not having families, um, something God just spoke to me and did something in my heart. And I, I really felt him saying, care for orphans, care for orphans, and wanted to go on to continue working for orphans, and which that meant to me, go to an orphanage. So went on to work on different orphanages and um, started talking to the directors and asking like, what happened to all these kids' parents? How did they all die? And he said, well, most of them didn't die. They are in jail, or their moms are prostitutes, or they are abandoned, or they've been dropped off here. And um, so I was like, okay, this is what orphans are about. And then later on, when we were married, had two little girls, they're off to school now in grade school, and I just came to this time of feeling really lonely and lost and 
um, really wanting to serve God and know what my purpose is and just kept praying, God, help me know what my purpose is. I just, I want to be sold out, but I don't know what that is. And so I started reading Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Mm -hmm. And reading that book, the words just kept popping out, care for orphans, care for orphans. I'm like, but I'm not gonna go and work on an orphanage. I kind of already did this. What is this about? So before me, just foster care kind of came about and I'm like, well, what is foster care? So I started working at a thrift store and all these foster kids were coming in and just learning about this life and started asking the people who worked there, you know, so why are all these kids in foster care? What happened? She said, oh, well, most of their parents have abandoned them or they're in jail or they've been abused, they couldn't care for them. And all of a sudden it was like, aha. In other countries, we call it orphanages. In the United States, we call it foster care. Same type of kids, we just name it something different in the United States. And it was like, that is what I'm supposed to be doing is caring for these kids in foster care. So that motivated me to serve Jesus and take these kids in and start being a foster mom. So we became foster parents and just in my groove, absolutely loved working with the birth parents, trying to get them home. And um, I loved what they were doing for me too. It was changing my life and taking in children that are broken. You're going to get your heart broken. Mm. And, um, and it was beautiful how God was um, helping me with their lives, but it was changing my heart. So Brian, Julie comes home to you and says, God's put on a heart. You know, it's all, it's, Julie doesn't take in foster care children. You both do. Yeah. How's your response? Yeah, uh, it's like that announcement. Congratulations, you're going to be a foster dad. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, I uh, was reluctant. And mm. I think that is actually typical, that this tends to be a woman-led thing. They, they're more sensitive to God in this issue. Um, but when we had the first child come into our lives, who he was a baby, he was, we got him when he was six months, um, uh, I was surprised. I, f I fell in love with him. And we were actually at, at a point where we thought we might adopt him, and we would have. But um, his grandparents came in mm. kind of out of the blue and um, we, you know, get, had him go over to his grandparents and it, it broke my heart. And I, I think God used that moment with this little boy to say, um, you can love kids uh, that aren't biologically related to you. But I used to call him my, my boy, my son. Wow. How many have you gone on to look after? You know, uh, we've been foster parents for years and we haven't had that many we've had eight and uh, a lot of ours have been longer term cares you know some people have eight foster kids in a matter of months our our kids just stayed with us for quite a while because we were always working at trying to get them to be reunified mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes that's a long process wow, wow. Uh, Julie it wasn't just that the kids you looked after broke your heart there was a bigger picture for you as well, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. We had this um, one baby and picked him up from the hospital and had him for nine months trying to get him back home. And one day the caseworker called and said, Julie, 
we have to talk, I need to come over, something's changed. I said, okay. So she came over, we were sitting at the kitchen table and she goes on to say that he wasn't gonna go back home and he was going up for adoption and wanted to see if our family would adopt him. And I was excited because we loved this little baby, but at the same time, I had all these questions running through my head and I said, what would happen if we said no? What happens to this little guy? And she said, oh my goodness, there's a whole line of families waiting for the babies. I just wish there were families waiting for all the other kids. I said, well, what are the kids? Who are these kids? And she said, in Colorado, there's over 800 kids available for adoption and nobody knows about these kids. And it was something that just, I couldn't get out of my head. It was, a, it was an injustice that angered me. And, um, and I kept thinking, God, somebody needs to do something about this. This is a problem and somebody needs to step up. And God slowly put it on my heart that do something, try and do something. We're gonna come back to what you did. Brian, you're first told that you're going to bring a baby home and be a foster dad. Yeah. Now your wife's got a passion for 800. <laughs> how, yeah. are, how are you responding to, to well, a passion for 800? Yeah, and uh, sh that was tough, but God was doing something in my life at the same time. So we live mm. in one county and I worked in another. I worked at uh, a church, LifeBridge Christian Church, a very community oriented. And I had someone from child welfare in that county call and say, can I meet with you? Uh, I said, sure. So uh, this lady, Cindy, came a few more uh, days later, met her in the lobby. First thing she said was, thanks for meeting with me. I've been trying to meet with a church for a few years. You're the first one to say yes. So I apologize that that had been her experience. Uh, we go back to my office and um, you know, she explains that she had been a nun for 20 years, and, but then met a priest, and they became Episcopalian, and so that was like, that was funny. And so, but she said, Brian, I really came here just to tell you one thing. She said, in the 26-year history of child welfare in this county, there has never been one day, not one, where kids haven't been waiting for grown-ups to care for them. Mm. Not a day where kids haven't been waiting for families to open up their hearts and homes. And she said, I have a challenge for you in your church. Help me change who waits. Help me recruit so many families who care about these kids that they're on the waiting list, not the kids. Mm. So all of a sudden I'm like sitting here, I have this former nun challenge me to help orphans. I know if I say no, I'm gonna go to hell. So <laughs> <laughs> out of self-preservation. Now, actually, I, I think I, sensed at that moment that this challenge from this woman was beyond her and mm. that God was saying, this is my challenge to you. I want you to change who waits. And so I accepted the challenge and within a year we had helped fulfill that goal. So what had not happened in 26 years was able to be fulfilled within a year. So God was working on my heart now in a similar way that he was working on Julie's of like, this is an injustice. Um, the church needs to step up and care for these kids who have felt unwanted, who are, are been hurt, 
and the church needs to step in there and care for these kids. You had a waiting list of 800 in the group that you talked about. You became active in that area. What difference did it make? Um, um, it was huge. It was um, life-changing for these kids. It was about going to the churches and telling their stories, showing photos and videos, and just letting kids that have been forgotten, that were invisible and just fallen through the cracks, bringing them to the platform and just sharing their stories with people. And people were lining up saying, I'll take them, I'll take them. And it was just the most amazing thing to watch. It was just beautiful. Wow. So how many children were, mm. were taken into homes? Obviously, this is an ongoing problem, yeah. situation which won't change, but in that, in in that, that time? time frame, it went from 800 down to 280, wasn't it 280? Yeah. So it was just beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Mm. Brian, you worked as a pastor. Yeah. And so reading the Bible is, and, and understanding what God's heart in this, I, I sense for, from both of you, this is more than just a this is a tough situation we need to get involved, that there is a sense of God's justice involved. What, how do you understand God's heart, word in this for you? Yeah, so um, you start seeing eye, having eyes for this as you're reading scripture and you know, there, the famous verse for this uh, issue is James 1 27 that uh, religion that God considers pure and faultless is to care for orphans and widows in their distress but that's not so much a command as it is just saying this is how it ought to be mm -hmm. and I actually think in my opinion James is referencing Isaiah 1 where God is tying together worship and justice and saying pure worship uh, only comes through justice and again, reading scripture, I started realizing, I think righteousness and justice, which you see throughout the whole Old Testament, is shorthand for love God and love your neighbor. Well, it's like, okay, this is just, this is on God's heart. He's trying to set the world right and he wants to use the church as an object lesson on how to love our neighbors. And sometimes those neighbors are kids uh, who need families. And so it was just a, a matter of following God's heart. You know, I sometimes I've been asked, um, why are you pursuing um, foster care and orphan care? And my reply is, I haven't pursued foster care and orphan care. I pursued Jesus and he led me to kids who need families. Yeah, yeah that, that remarkable statement. For you, Julie, you said that this started when you were 16. Mm -hmm. You sense God's heart in this? For sure, yeah. There was definitely um, just seeing God's heart for children who have been forgotten and who don't have moms and dads. And his heart is just so for these kids. And it just made me want to serve him more because I could just see his love for them. Do you feel the, the, the stretch between the children you look home after at home and the bigger picture of the 800 that you're trying to, to have a home for? Is there a stretch for you in that or is that something that you just are able to walk together with? There is. Um, there's just, there's something about being broken, seeing these children. It's just having a eyes 
for these kids and whether it's going to a hospital and seeing kids that are being weaned off of drugs and hearing them cry or being at your house and hearing children crying because you literally hear them saying, I miss my mom, I just want to be with my mom, or hearing teenagers just rage with anger because they're so lonely and so lost. And um, it's just a small touch of what I experience at home and knowing the big picture just nationally and around the world, just with these orphans, God cares so deeply about these children. Brian, you've got involved more broadly now. Mm-hmm. What is the organization you're involved with like and what does it do? Yeah, uh, well, uh, it's called America's Kids Belong and what happened in Colorado was a grassroots movement. We used the visual arts videos uh, mostly and, and activa- activated the church. We, though, encountered a problem with access to power. And so we teamed up with our colleagues, um, Ryan and Janet Kelly, uh, who were government people in Virginia, and they did a grass tops movement. They worked through the governor to campaign for kids like they would for jobs or transportation. And, but they didn't activate the church in the arts. And so when their governor left, things kind of went back to status quo. So we said, we need each other. Let's marry these models, this grassroots model in Colorado and this grass tops model in Virginia. And we come together and do what is referred to as a collective impact campaign. We activate the, the government, it's the governor and child welfare. Uh, we activate the church. We activate the creatives and the business around a campaign to change who waits, to have more families, more than enough families for these kids. And... Um, the results have been pretty remarkable, and this space, this campaign, creates a safe space to activate and elevate all sorts of assets that already exist in the community and in the church. Wow. Julie, as a mom, you had your own mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. and then you added children to the family. Mm-hmm. How was that for your kids? Mm. The kids actually were so helpful and I couldn't have done it without them. They just really stepped up and it changed their hearts. They loved it. They were so helpful. They would come home from school and mom, I want to help. Let me, sometimes they would even fight over holding the babies or helping with the kids. And it was just beautiful being able to get the kids involved in this ministry and having them learn at a young age to care for children that necessarily weren't just from our family and um, they still to this day care for these kids in different ways. Is it something that influenced and impacted their own faith as well? I think it did, yeah. They definitely um, grew strong in their faith and um, I think something beautiful that really happened is God quickly would heal their hearts when the kids would leave because it was heart-wrenching every time the kids would leave. We would all be crying as a family And sometimes I would think, I cannot do this. Like, I can take the pain, Brian can, but to do this to our own kids, maybe this isn't healthy. And, um, but God kept healing their hearts almost quicker. And they were the ones coming to us and would say, let's do it again, let's do it again. And so it was just beautiful to watch how God used their lives and their faith to 
continue on helping more kids. Was there any time that you thought to yourself, I can't do it again? Every time one left, every time, yeah. It was absolutely heartbreaking when they left, but even when they came, like I said, just whether it was going to a hospital and hearing babies cry, getting weaned off of drugs, there were so many times I said, I can't do this. It's too much, it's too much. And God is just saying, this is what I see. This are, these are the children that I love and that I want you to care for and to share and that have just been forgotten about. Does it have a longer term legacy in the kids' life that you see, the children that you look after? Do you, do you have follow-up uh, with them at all or is it once they go? It's always the different. Most of the time um, we don't get to see the kids. If they've gone on to be adopted then those families usually kind of want their privacy and to do their own thing or um, sometimes the kids just being in foster care is very humiliating to the family so they kind of just want to have that, you know, um, be gone. But for the older kids that I've worked with, they, um, they call on the holidays, talk to them on their birthdays. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's just heartbreaking. Those kids don't have anyone, the older kids, and um, I'm thankful that it could be somebody that they just reach out to. Brian, as you talk to people that you're looking to get involved to make sure that the kids aren't waiting, what's it like talking to the families and getting them involved? Well, you know, a lot of the time we're, we're talking to influencers, we're asking them to extend their influence to th their sphere and call their, these people um, to something that's really hard. You say, you know, we're, we're not asking them to like hand out bulletins. It's like open up your hearts and your homes, uh, invite trauma into your life, and sometimes uh, the people we're telling this to is like, wow, that's tough. Because a lot of times, uh, this idea of having kids come into your homes is romanticized. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, we're gonna put a cape on our back and save these kids. It's like, you soon realize you don't have a cape, you have a cross, and this is very hard. Having these kids have come in who've been deeply wounded, who are sad and mad, and you're trying to l love them and you realize love is a good start, but it's not enough. You need some skills on understanding trauma. And so we are, you know, when I talk to pastors, it's like, yeah, we want the church to be activated here. And this idea of making disciples, yeah, maybe the kid will come in and come to uh, know God, but for sure, the parents are gonna become better disciples uh, of, because they're gonna be on their knees a lot, praying, asking for help, realizing that God will break your heart and then he'll heal it again. Um, so this, this is like signing up for the Marines. This is, this is a tough call. And um, I think some churches are saying, we'll sign up for that and we'll stay in for the long haul and we'll learn and grow. And that's when I realize, you know, that's what I want, I want to see in the church. So I have a mentor uh, named Joe, Joe Ritchie, and his, his favorite story is Les Mis. And I asked him, why is that your favorite story? And he said, well, 
It's because when people start the story, they think it's about a big, strong guy who saves a little orphan girl. He said, by the end of the story, you realize it was actually about a little orphan girl who saves a big, strong man. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing is happening with the church. They go in thinking, we're going to save these kids. And in the long run, they realize these kids helped save the church. They helped us become the kind of church God wants the church to be. Sometimes we go into foster care trying to fill a void in our life and something that's empty, thinking, oh, this kid will complete our family. But we're trying to shift that around to this isn't just about being infertile and adopting. This is about taking a risk for kids who need families and to open up your heart and your home. And sometimes you take these kids and you love them with all your heart and they don't love you back. And it's something that it just teaches you to be stronger in your faith and to um, just dig deep in there that you're not in this to be loved back. You're just in it to love and um, to serve God that way. In a way that I guess that reflects what you would think that Jesus is doing for you. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He continues to rescue me, choose me, adopt me, love me. And um, he wants our heart, our whole heart. And um, yeah, during these times where sometimes we'll have kids come into the home that um, don't even want to be with us and um, because they're just so hurt. And I'll say, let's just go for a walk. Just be with me for 10 minutes. I just want to be with you. And um, yeah, and it just reminds me of sometimes how we, with God, like, okay, I'll just give you 10 minutes. <laughs> That's all it is, you know, and it's got to be more than that. <laughs> so. Julie and Brian, I'll ask each of you separately, but this series is called Jesus the Game Changer. Mm-hmm. So for you, how's Jesus the game changer? Mm-hmm. He, he's changed everything. Um, rescuing me, choosing me, loving me. Um, it's changed my life and I'll never be the same. Brian, for you. Uh, yeah, I mentioned that um, I didn't pursue this calling. I pursued Jesus and he led me to uh, kids who are hurting. So that's how he's affected me. But I think societally, Jesus, he brought value to kids. I mean, one of the few things we see in the gospel where Jesus gets angry is he gets angry about kids being uh, pushed away or hurt. And he, I mean, he even says it's, it'd be better, you'd be better off, you know, having a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the ocean than to hurt a kid. So he puts a tremendous value on kids. He, he kind of, he, he, he flips the script. He takes um, the powerful who tend to be at the center of the bullseye, the rulers, the kings, and then next out free men and free women. And then on the edges are, there, are the stranger and the orphan and the vulnerable. And he says, let's turn the bullseye to the kids. And then the next, and the rings out are the women, the men, and then the, the rulers. And you see that God says, um, I made you strong. If you're strong, I made you strong to protect the weak. If I made you wise, it's to be a guide to the simple. If I made you rich, 
it's to care for the poor. And those in the center, those vulnerable, they're there to say, we're helping you focus on what's important. We're helping you become human, more like what God has in mind. And so I, I love also how Jesus formed his kingdom, the church as well. So I believe that organizations can do big things, but they do them with little love. And that's the government, the state. And I think individually, we can do little things, but we can do it with big love. The church, the saints, the people, together we can do big things with big love. And that's what Jesus started. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the radio, video and podcast ministry of Olive Tree Media, visit olivetreemedia.com.au forward slash donate.